Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM Podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Today on the podcast, we have the fabulous duo Stacey Gersten and Courtney Worthman of Burns Entertainment. Together, they're responsible for over $100 million in talent deals, working with brands like Target, Microsoft, L'Oreal, Mercedes-Benz, Unilever, and Procter & Gamble, and celebrities ranging from J-Lo, Ryan Reynolds, Scarlett Johansson, Zoe Kravitz, John Legend, Mindy Kaling, ASAP Rocky, plus influencers from fashion and travel to tech but a little bit about them individually. So Stacy Gersten, upon graduating from the University of Texas at Austin, started her career in New York City as an editorial assistant. She became a commercial casting director at Gray Advertising and has worked on behalf of some of the biggest brands to cast and negotiate endorsement deals with celebrities, influencers, experts, models, and even real people for advertising, PR, and social media campaigns. This experience liaising with top brands and their marketing agencies for pop culture campaigns led Stacy to join Authentic Brands Group, where she ran brand marketing efforts for the entertainment division. Stacy is now the VP of Brand and Agency Partnerships at Burns Entertainment, where her role is to cultivate new client relationships for the agency. Now, Courtney Worthman has been in New York City booking talent for brands and agencies for almost 16 years. She started her career at Conan Wolf Public Relations booking talent before moving into lifestyle PR, heading up the celebrity and VIP relations at Allison Broad and Communications. After almost a decade there, she moved on to booking larger endorsement deals for brands like Procter & Gamble and Target. And in 2018, Courtney was the one to open up the New York City offices of Burns Entertainment. So I am so happy and excited because today we've got like a duo in the house. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. How's it going, guys? Fantastic. So excited to be here. (laughs) We were like messing around all morning. Um, We've got muffins. We've got dog treats for (laughs) JoJo, who uh, is always the the most special guest of the podcast. But today, um, we have a couple special people in our studio. Um, so we heard a little bit about you guys like on paper, but we always like to hear like from you, from your own words, like tell us a little bit about you guys, like how you got to where you are today. You guys are pointing at each other. <laughs> Who goes first? Fine. I'll go first. Um, I'm Courtney Worthman and I have been in New York and in this industry for going on 16 years. Um. And ever since then, I've just been kind of living the dream and doing what I love. Stacey, what about you? So I have always been a pop culture junkie, and I'm embarrassed to say, but I moved to New York 100% influenced by Sex and the City, like probably many girls (laughs) our age. 
Yes, and I um, my first job when I got here, I dreamed of literally working at Glamour or Seventeen magazine. And the first job that would take me that wasn't a copywriter um, or a fact checker, unfortunately, was Life and Style Weekly, which at the time um, was truly the coolest magazine on earth. I I hope they're still in print. Um, but I worked there in the fashion department. And it was at the time when Perez Hilton was like first taking off and was really taking over the celebrity like gossip business. And we were all shaking in our boots like what's going to happen to the magazine. And at that time, I was um, I love this story, so I'm going to tell it. Um, I was making literally no money. It was like twenty four thousand dollars a year. And I don't know how I fed myself. But um, for extra money, I would do stringer work. And that night I had to go to this was two thousand. Six. I had to go to the um, St. Regis Hotel uptown, sit at the bar, and just report on when Britney Spears came home. And this was like during her like total mental breakdown. And as I'm at the bar, I met someone who I was talking to and telling them what I do for a living. And when I told them what I do, they thought I was not only crazy, but also said, you should work for me. And then from there, I uh, I left the magazine and publishing world, which was probably a, a gift at the time that I figured that out in 2006. Um, and I went to do uh, gifting suites. And so I was, that was my first real interaction with celebrity talent, where I would essentially be backstage at all the award shows and handing celebrities different things like vacations and car leases and luggage and clothing and jewelry and all of that. And um, it was really when I got to see, wow, when a celebrity holds up an item, it's that like intrinsic uh, endorsement that's not really official. And at that time, that was really what was selling pages and magazines. I think that's actually yeah. where I met you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Courtney. <laughs> right. And funny enough, that is when Stacy and I met because I was on the PR side at that time. So it all started, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, went to school at Tulane in New Orleans, and then moved to New York the day after graduation and took the first job that would have me. Luckily enough, that was at Conan Wolf uh, Public Relations. And Diana Littman, who's now the CEO of MSL, was my first boss. So it was pretty, pretty great. And then after we did healthcare campaigns with celebrities. So my job included basically doing car services for celebrities for an entire year. After that, I moved on to lifestyle PR and worked at Allison Broad Public Relations, which was an amazing place to spend my 20s. Ended up, I don't really like talking people into doing what they don't want to do. I was like, do you want to write about these jeans? Do you like this jacket? I don't know. If you do, write about it. So I wasn't the best publicist, let's say. And this was right around the time where you couldn't get a product in a magazine without a celebrity fan. So the stars aligned and I said, let me be the girl at the agency who gets the celebrity fans for our brands. So that became my job and my career path. So uh, from there, I transitioned into doing large-scale endorsement deals. So in the beginning, it was Blake Lively holding a Cuba bag, hailing a fake taxi for that coveted spot in Hot Picks in Us Weekly. How about, like, Kelly Rutherford using ketchup on a park bench? Just things that shouldn't really happen. (laughs) That thing kind of jumped the shark. So moved into doing larger-scale endorsement deals at um, buying agencies after that. It's funny. It's what I like to call, like, making it legit. You yeah. Know? Like I, re- I remember doing some deal where um, 
it was, I, I can't remember who, which celebrity it was. I want to say it was like Hillary Duff, maybe, painting her nails on a park bench. Mm, and yep. it was like setting those setup shots, um, which sadly, I actually did one of these setup shots a couple last year or so. People still do them. And they still really work. I did one with Shaquille O'Neal literally last year <laughs> and coming out of a dollar store. It worked. He was wearing a full suit. But, uh, it yeah. worked. It got picked up. And that, children, is how the world worked before Instagram. Right. And that's my beautiful transition. Beautiful transition. Because, like, you know, I, I could even relate to so much of what you guys were saying. Like, my first, one of my first jobs in the industry was making, like, in the 20s of thousands of dollars per year. Mm-hmm. Um, and working with a celebrity, but, like, not influencers. Certainly not influencers. Um, and so I think that it's really fascinating, both that you have the background to be able to have so much knowledge of where this all started because I can so see a through line of course we're just talking about it like you know we're still doing some of the similar things but it's like a just a different a different version of it um and and I think that it's so important that people like you guys are around and on this podcast for maybe like uh, the twenty somethings of the world who are maybe just getting started um, to hear uh, because I see the importance of really fully understanding and appreciating where this all got started to be able to do the work that is now um, so much better um, and so like I don't know talk to me about how you like in the work that you're doing today specifically with influencers how did working in the celebrity space influence what you're doing now okay so i have a good example that i found really interesting just this past week from a call i was making so typically brands will come to us whether they are an established brand client or they're an emerging brand that's looking to launch whether it's direct to consumer or um, some other they're trying to find retail placement And these brands, what I find is so interesting, who don't typically don't really understand the influencer space, they come to us and they'll they'll ask for a crazy amount of services, a crazy amount of content for this influencer to create for a really small amount of money. And when I'm trying to explain to them that the value in this influencer is their audience, they've worked really hard to get this audience and to have this authentic connection so they can sell them products. That content's really valuable and that audience is really valuable. And just because they're not Brad Pitt, a small, you know, five-figure deal isn't going to cut it. And then what I found interesting is in some of the conversations I was just having on this uh, particular um, brand client was the agents that I was talking to for the amount of money I was asking for. Or, I was, or the amount of money that I had uh, for this client, the agents were really saying to me, oh, we can totally get a deal done. We can craft something really interesting, but the brand's going to need to carry it, meaning the brand's going to need to shoot the content. The brand's going to need to put a lot of paid media spend, which is the exact opposite of what my brand client wanted to do. And I found it really interesting. And because of, I think, the experience that I've had working with celebrities where that's that's the exact model. You use a celebrity, the brand does all the heavy lifting. Now these younger brands want to work with an influencer where the influencer does the heavy lifting. It was trying to find that happy medium so that the influencer will be excited and want to work on this product. But more importantly, my client, because again, that's who pays me, my client will feel value and be happy and see uh, success in, in this program as a whole. 
And so talk to me a little bit more about that because I'd love to hear like you are, your client is, are the brands, right? And so like in the rooms, you know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the room and a conversation that you're having with your clients who are some of the biggest brands in the world. Um, you know, what are they looking for that will, you know, justify working with influencers and really build, bringing ROI? The big question every single brand asks is, how do we measure ROI? What's the ROI? And back in the olden days, we had impressions. And someone made that up and we all went with it. So I think the industry as a whole, the brands at least, are having to show some kind of number to the higher up who isn't from our generation, who needs to see something on paper. And, you know, influencer marketing is a teenager right Mm -hmm. now. There's lots of different ways to measure it. Is it quality of content? Is it amount of content? Is it, you know, what are your KPIs? They can really truly be anything. So I think that's the biggest, you know, hurdle we have to get over with convincing a lot of brands that influencer marketing really works. Finding that, you know, KPI that's going to make sense to someone who's not familiar with this space. So what are you guys talking about now that likes are going away? Because that's that's going to throw a huge wrench in things. Yeah. What are conversations like with you guys about around that? I'd say all of our clients are really scared and they're confused. They're scared for their own brands. Like how are they going to how are they going to interact with their consumer on social? To be honest, I don't have an answer on what we're going to do yet. We don't know. And fortunately, it's in test phase right now. So we'll be learning as it goes. Mm -hmm. But I'd say it's going to be one of these things. It's very similar to when when I started working and doing um, YouTube integrations. I didn't really know what I was doing. I had to figure it out as we went along. And every every deal was a test and learn. And it was really all about explaining to the client that this is a test and learn. And we have to make sure we're not making big decisions. We're making small, smart decisions. And we're doing them at scale so that we can really see it. But it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested to see, is it going to be something where now the brands have to, instead of just going off of organic content, they have to be whitelisting or they have to be putting paid media dollars to either support the content that the influencer is putting out or just other content that comes from the channel of the brand to be pumping that content out and making sure they're reaching that audience. We're going to see. I mean, listen, Facebook, Instagram, they're smart. We know they did this for a reason that is larger than just social anxiety, although I do appreciate that. Um, There were other reasons that were probably financial that they made this decision. So we'll see. I'm excited for one because the content. I feel like the content's going to become better and more engaging and the creativity of our job is going to come back. It's not going to be so meticulously laid out and I think that influencers and celebrities both like that freedom when they're doing their social media posts so I'm pumped for that Mm -hmm. Facebook can have all the likes and metrics and that's where we can really show our clients so I guess you know maybe there'll be an uptick in Facebook programs but as far as Instagram goes I think it's a good thing. I think it's really interesting though because I mean you'll you'll see the likes still on the back end, right? You'll you'll still have access to them. It's just all being like done in a different way, right? Um and to your point, like I I've heard influencers talk a lot about it and what I'm hearing is they're also excited. They're really excited because they think that it's going to sort of revert back to the golden days of Instagram in which it was it was more pure and it was more about 
um, just the content and less about, you know, how many likes am I getting and this like competitive nature and this, um, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about like, you know, the social anxiety that that brings. And we're, we're going way beyond the conversation of just influencers here, just people constantly looking for uh, approval and, and, you know, this constant engagement and interaction with other people. Um, it, it, and alternatively, the other piece of it, of course, is well, they still have comments, right? And so how much more engaged would they be that it's not just about a simple, you know, double tap to to heart and like a, a post. Now it's like they really truly have to engage and, and talk to each other. And it's interesting, right? It's sort of going back to the core of what social media is. It's to truly be social with each other and communicate, build community. So that's sort of the conversations that I'm hearing from the influencer side. And I, I, it makes a lot of sense to me and I'm kind of excited about that too. What about you guys? You know, I'm interested to see how brands will react and if it's, maybe it's utilizing the community managers on those brand side and whether it's, say there's a sponsored post and now we're forcing fans to want to be more, I guess, communicative and, and leave those comments. Does it now open up a space for the brand to be commenting back and saying like, you can buy it at Nordstrom or you can get it with this coupon code? Is that going to work? I don't know because it might feel too, it might feel forced, but we'll see. At the end of the day, I think the consumer is really smart and sees an ad. They understand it's an ad, but at the same time, they're open to it and they like it. They 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 know they're being sold to when they go on social media. They know they're being sold to when they're following their favorite influencers and their favorite celebrities. But I think we'll see. I, I think it's going to be an interesting time. I do too. I also think I don't know to that point. I'm the first person to say, like, sell me a product and make Same. it easy for me to buy it. Yeah. And it's something that, I like, you know I'm going to love. Like, 100%, I'll buy it in a second. Yeah, I want to be sold, too. Yeah. I want to know what to buy. Yeah, What these people, these people have access to all the cool stuff. So tell me what to do. 100%. You know, I noticed yesterday, it was really interesting to me that Lady Gaga, when she uh, launched House Labs, Yesterday, she announced this new shopping platform where you could shop directly on Instagram. So you could click the little icon in her photo that had, I think, a special color code. It didn't take you to the Amazon page. Then literally, you could buy it right through through Instagram. When I tell you, I mean, I bought something because it was so seamless and easy that I think this is going to be amazing. And I think also for a lot of these brands that we work with in the CPG space where it doesn't take a lot of thought. You're not thinking a lot about what kind of deodorant you're buying. It's $5. You're not necessarily mulling over a $4.99 um, shampoo. And when it's really easy to click and buy, you're going to do it. So easily. I mean, when like swipe ups are like the most dangerous thing to me. And we were talking about this just yesterday in our office, just like about, you know, the shop it now sort of thing in in an Instagram post that some people have access to and some brands are doing. Just the ease of it. Yeah. And how great it is. And like, it's just, I, I, I don't know. I think it's so important. We talk about it on this podcast often enough um, to just like remember just imagine yourself when in those times when you are just a straight up consumer and like take off, you know, your work hat for a second and just say like, you know, it, does it make it easy? Does it make, is it, is it something that excites me? Is it a person that like, oh, that's cool. Like she makes it look really good or he makes it look great. And like, I, I yeah, I want it a hundred percent. Like it, it's, I don't know. It used to be called like an online shopping addiction. <laughs> 
the amount of packages that like come to my house on a regular basis. And I don't think that is what it is right now. I It's because I don't really shop in stores at all. So it's like all of my personal shopping is done online 100%. So I, I just think that is what it is. And if you can make it the more ease that you can bring me in my life, I will subscribe 100%. Hey, 100%. Yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about like the brands that you guys are working with and some of the like success stories that you guys have had. Everyone listening wants to, they want to be able to take some actionable things from this podcast. And, you know, you guys have so much experience. You guys have like cultivated the dream team at Burns and I and have like incredible background. So I would really love for people listening today to learn from you. Um, and so over the years and currently with what you're doing, with the expertise that you have in a room, um, what types of practices have you guys implemented that really make your work successful today? One, two words, layered programs. <laughs> so what we mean by layered programs is utilizing all the entire spectrum of celebrity and influencer. Budget depending, that could be a great A-list celebrity at the top of the spectrum or a great macro influencer. That person pushes the message out, gives you the heat for your launch, and sends your message out into the world. Then you can put in some macro influencers to kind of pulse out the news, making it not the same celebrity speaking to you about the same thing over and over again, but each macro influencer can put their little spin on it. And then at the bottom, it's the micro influencers who keep the conversation going for the rest of the year. That's great. And so um, that makes so much sense to me, though, because inevitably you're trying to create buzz, right? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? Um, And so to be able to more strategically create that buzz just sounds so smart, right? Like it sounds so effective. A good example of that is Fossil Group. Um, They had kind of been quiet for a while. They're a cool company in Texas, and they said – Let's go big. Let's get back out in the marketplace with some celebrities. They actually tasked us with finding um, celebrities who actually wore fossil watches, which thankfully we have the kind of relationships in the industry we can ask that question and not get laughed at. We found people that actually had worn in some point in their life a fossil watch. Kristen Bell wore her fossil watch on Veronica Mars. Austin Mahone's dad gave him his a fossil watch when he was a baby we got the stories we got the authenticity they were in the ad campaign then throughout the year i think they enlisted ariel charnas and a couple of other macro influencers to appear at their events give some excitement do a gift guide and then below that level was micro influencers that was constant product gifting constant communication with the niche little influencers who can really sell product Um, and echo the celebrity and macro influencers' messages. They did a great job. And one that wasn't a great job, I think, that's not ours, is a post that an A-list celebrity did for a major shoe company a few weeks ago. She did it. There were some digital spots, and then nothing else happened. And I don't know where it went, and I don't know why it happened. So, but yet we know about it because we are tracking this all day long. What celebrity is posting about what, talking about which brand mm-hmm. wearing this? 
different uh, ad campaigns coming out. I mean, we're psychos about this. Psychos. Psychos. But, you know, I think that they could have fared a little better in the marketplace if they had had the A-lister post and then talk about it or do an appearance or have macro influencers carrying the message so we hear it reverberated over and over. So it's like a one and done. A one and done just, okay. A one and done works when you use Kylie Jenner because I sold out this French t-shirt line. I've never even heard of it, but they had a ton of money and called us. This is a few years back in my career. And they said, we want to sell out the t-shirt. And we said, all right, which which Kardashian do you want to pick? <laughs> and they picked Kylie, sold out completely. That's the that's a case where the one and done absolutely works. But that they're unicorns. Totally. Yeah. Totally unicorns. And so but like so what I mean, what is the difference? Is it the type of product or is it just like why why was their strategy why was your strategy for them to to go to a kardashian is it just because like why why was that so we could understand a little bit more personally i would never recommend that strategy they came in as an international company wanting to align with the biggest stars in america and they said specifically we need to sell out we want to be able to have a pr pitch where we sold out of the shirt in one day so that's why we we showed them how much it costs and they did not flinch and they said that's exactly what we want and ultimately it accomplished their goal. Can you share a range or a dollar? If Can you share how much it costs or a range? I don't know what you can say, but can you give more specifics on that? I feel like Hell people yeah. want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to share the exact dollar amount and I will say that they're a dream to work with, but if you want to talk Kardashian, it's got to be over 250000 at entry level. Entry level. But that's worth it. Like, it, it is. Well, sure. I mean, I, I think Sorry that it, to say, everybody, but I'm a huge Kris Jenner fan. Let's just put it out there. And I think what they've created is incredible. And if you want to ride on that rocket ship, it's going to cost you. Sure, sure. I'm actually surprised it's not a little bit more, to be honest. That's the, that is like a Chloe Courtney number. And so, like, what's a Kim number? I haven't worked with her in a few worked. years. So I used to book front rows at Fashion Week and New York Fashion Week. For all of you listeners who were above the age 35, like when it was at Bryant Park and Fern Malice was in charge and I would sit Kim in the front row for free in exchange for an outfit and God, those were the days. But now it's, you know, she doesn't need any money. It has to make sense for her brand. Yeah. Sending her offers, unless it's like a one-off Botox post for a couple million dollars, won't really make a difference. To the queen KJ. I mean, I'm a huge Kardashians fan myself. Huge, huge. I mean, they are the original influencer. They are, though. But seriously, 100%. Um, I mean, to go back to that, like, you know, the Paris Hiltons of the world. You're talking about Perez Hilton. Where do you think that name came from? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so my, we're going we're gonna to shift a little bit here. Um, I want to hear a little bit about you – know, we talk on this podcast a bit – about what it is to be a woman in this space. This isn't people in influencer marketing, it's women in influencer marketing. Um, and, you know, having um, like this incredible 
uh, trajectory that you both have had professionally. Um, there are women listening to this podcast, men maybe even too, who are just like, gosh, like I want, like how do I kill it in my job? Like how do I get to where I want to be? Like what do I have to do? Like I want it so bad, but I need to know how to actually get there. What tips would you give people listening on this podcast of how to like ultimately be in a position that you guys are in today? So I'm someone, and I'm not necessarily proud of this, but it kind of just been the way my career has gone. I've had a lot of jobs, and I would say I've, I've changed jobs almost every three years. And it has not been because I was looking. Every single time, it was because I was poached. I actually had this conversation with um, the head of the commercial department at CAA when he asked me, um, why do you keep getting new jobs? I said, it's not my fault. <laughs> it's really not my fault. Um, and a lot of that is because of I made great relationships with people in my age range. So I was telling Jesse, you earlier, um, two of the jobs that I, I had gotten that really kind of catapulted my career were with um, introductions I had gotten from agents' assistants. And so, so much of that was really just being respectful and understanding that this person, of course, they answer at a talent agency, an assistant answers the phone, takes the notes, sits on all the calls. Their job is really hard and they get no respect. And those were people that I made friends with and I made relationships with and we would, real relationships, we would go out for dinner and go out for drinks and go to parties together and whatever it may be. And these are people who now they're, now they're the big agents and it's so fun that they're just, they're the decision maker and we're doing real deals together and we're keeping it real because we are friends in business and in life. So I guess my advice would be is be yourself, be, be, but be a person and realize that every single, every single person you come into contact with in this business matters. And you don't know, you don't know where they'll be in five years because you don't know where you'll be in five years. I love that. Be a person is such (laughs) good advice. I mean, no one wants the, per my email below, like be a person. That's great. I would say a few things, a few things I want to say. One is network your ass off. So I'm from Tennessee, no connections up here. My parents don't know anybody up here. I'm paying for myself up here. And I was always jealous of all of you guys. I'm looking at Stacy because everyone had sleepaway camp. Everyone's from Roslyn. You guys all know each other. And it was so unfair to me. So I really had to step it up and network. You know, it was harder for me because I didn't have my foot in the door. I had to force the door open for myself. So whether you're an assistant account executive who's checking in samples and doing the like most bitchy of bitch work, go out after work, find people, meet people. And this isn't go out after work and get wasted and black out. Although that, you know, definitely can be fun. Definitely builds relationships. Right. Yeah, <laughs> definitely be a good relationship builder. But Not really put your name out there and meet, meet people because – at a company, everyone wants to be the person who knows that girl. And two is be your own advocate. I learned this the hard way. No one is going to give you a raise. No one is going to just give you the promotion. You have to put yourself out there and speak up. What's the saying? It's whatever you are not working to change, you are accepting. So if you're happy where you are, which is totally fine, Ball out, be happy where you are. But if you want that promotion, you walk up to the door, knock on it, and say, hi, I'm here to talk about my promotion. 
young as 25 and as old as I am today. I'm going to have to do that in a few months too. So I'm, <laughs> if you're listening, dog, it's coming. <laughs> but, you know, that's something that never goes away. And I think as a woman in the industry, I'm pretty pumped about all of the girls coming up because we have a fierceness about us. We're all a little pissed, mm-hmm. but pissed in a good way, not pissed complacent, like pissed active. And I'm not afraid to speak up anymore. For a lot of years, I wanted to be nice and I let people talk over me or interrupt me or even sit at a table with me and box me out with their with their shoulders. And that was the last day that ever happened to me and it will never happen again. And you know, look, I I can so relate. I used to work for a very male-dominated company that was very traditional and set in their ways and it wasn't necessarily like an explicit thing that was happening, but it was so just intuitively understood mm-hmm. what was going on. Um, and I could even make the argument that that's even worse, you know, because no one's really talking about it. It's like this silent thing that's just pervasive and happening around you. And like you were saying, like people, like it's like this complacency thing. Um, and it's so disheartening to think back about that. And, you know, I, I, I'll thank my parents. I'll thank my upbringing to uh, the reason why, I guess, I've felt comfortable speaking up and saying, you know, I've earned more. I, I should be earning more money because there always has to be a because after that. It's not I deserve it. It's I, I've generated this much income for your company. I'm staying late. I'm here early. I'm working smarter. Um, all there has to be a because statement in there. But going in there and, and asking for it and I would venture to say every time I asked for it, I got it. Um, And then talking and hearing rumblings around me of, I haven't gotten a raise since, you know, last December. Right. So like, what are you going to do about it? Exactly. And, and, you know, I don't, you know, at the time, I didn't want to necessarily share my business and say, well, my God, I just went in there and asked for one. But I would ask that person. I'd be like, well, when's the last time you, you asked for a raise? And she's like, well, you like I wouldn't ask for that like they they, like they would offer it to me and like I'm just and the frustration and the animosity that's sitting in her um you know building up because she's waiting and she's getting so upset that no one's coming to her and acknowledging her work and things like that and like that's just she's going about it the wrong way yeah just ask for it and ask I think a lot of people men women all of us are afraid when your boss is an explosive personality they run hot you're going to have an uncomfortable conversation and it's going to suck I was in a job for a long time where someone ran really hot and the game was just to avoid and not fluster feathers and that but you have to be okay stepping into the fire and just letting it rip and get ripped into if you're going to because no one is handing you anything what's that line it's um the squeaky wheel gets oil so I, before I joined Burns, I came from a much more uh, corporate environment. And what I found really interesting is it was all men at the top and very little women after that. And then they were all like mid-tier, whatever it may be. I would say it was the first time in my career where I really learned that I had to step up and ask for what I wanted. And I also had to be prepared that I wasn't going to get it. But if I didn't ask for it, I was never going to get it. So whether that was threatening to leave or whether that was um, having another position and countering, or that was 
telling them, I want to take on this job. I'll do it in, in addition to all my other work, but you have to let me do this job. And I'm not going to lie, it was really challenging and it caused a lot of stress in my life, but it really taught me that if I didn't ask for something, I mean, oh my God, I was drowning and I had to beg every single day to get um, a counterpart or an assistant or someone to work on my team with me. Granted, it took about uh, a year and a half to actually get that person, but when I got them, my life was so much better and I knew it, but I fought really hard to get that and it's... It is. It's be squeaky, be squeaky, be loud, be ask for what you want, whether it's money, whether it's a promotion, whether it's just, in my instance, help. You're not going to get it unless you ask for it. Nobody knows what you're thinking unless you tell them. There's not like a, a medal for hardest worker without saying that you need help. And Don't be a martyr. Right. Don't be a martyr. Ridiculous. Another quote that I love is, in order to get something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. And that applies in all aspects of life. And I think at work, that's especially helpful. If it's not a promotion that you're asking for or more money, be the girl who knows TikTok. Be the guy who knows everybody at production companies. You know, find your niche and really carve it out so that you're, you become invaluable. A hundred percent. And also introduce an idea early, right? Like if you want a raise, like you can sit and hum and haw about, you know, how, how nervous you are. There's there's hasn't been precedent set for whatever you want to ask for and create all of the reasons why it's not going to happen. But I have personally experienced that simply dropping the idea early over time become there becomes much more of an appetite for it it becomes not as shocking or not as disruptive or not as all the negative things um so that the earlier you drop it <laughs> the the sooner you you can get what you want as well um i just figured out another one save your work compile your numbers. So when you're asking for something, have concrete numbers that you can't, that no one can argue against. Saying, I want this and I need this and it's expensive to live in New York doesn't cut it. But when you're like, Mm -hmm. I've done 75 programs and I've managed over $5 million worth of, you know, client money, all of that kind of stuff. Smoke and mirrors it, baby. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And we're all a lot more impressive on paper than we actually realize. (laughs) Yes, 100%. Keep track of what you're doing, you know, memorialize it, put it in writing. Um, It's exactly what you're saying. I mean, I think we're all just brainstorming ways to make the best argument. And the best argument can't be like indefensible, right? Um, Because what you're describing, it's just black and white. It's completely black and white. And if you go in there and prove that that is just the truth, Mm -hmm. you can't argue with it. Um, so, and of course, all of this takes confidence, right? Like it takes confidence and I'll speak personally and I'll say like, you know, I'm much more confident now in my mid thirties than I was in my mid twenties and every decade I'm sure is going to be more and more so. So, you know, to women listening and, you know, they hear you and they're inspired by you and they really want to do this, but they're, something is holding them back what would you advise them in order to get the confidence they need to actually action this? So that's actually really funny when you talk about confidence because I think about in my early 20s, I think I was just fearless, not necessarily confident. Like 
I'm still friends with um, a woman that when I was an intern, she was my boss. And now I call her my urban mom. Shout out Naomi Isaacs. And literally, she still tells the story that when I was 19 years old and we had um, our client, which was Glasso Water, now purchased by, I think, Coca-Cola, huge company. Literally, I was an intern sitting outside the conference room and I could hear what they were talking about. And I thought they were wrong as a 19-year-old genius. And I literally barged into the conference room and said, oh, excuse me, as a you know college junior in Austin, Texas, this is what's happening. And when I tell you, every single person like did that double take and like looked at me, thought I was crazy. I thought the CEO of the company was going to throw me out the window, but the client loved it. The client was happy to hear someone be real in front of them and not give them lip service. And then as I continued in my career, I think I lost a little bit of that fearlessness. Some of that came from whether it was having bosses that didn't want to hear what I had to say, or maybe it was having um, managers who were um, nasty men who really thought that I was a woman and it wasn't as important what I thought and just wanted me to do the work. I don't, I don't know, but some of that went away. And as you're saying, Jesse, like, in my 30s, I'm starting to get that back. And part of that is that I trust myself and trying to also just not care and realize it's all going to work out. I'm going to get what I want as long as I say it and as long as I know what I want. I mean, it's just putting it out there. Like, it's just putting it out there. And I do, but like, by the same token, you know, I love that, like, uh, that comparison, like fearless versus confident. Um, Because I do see a distinction there. And that's super interesting. Um, But, you know, I, uh, there's, I don't know. I do think that it goes back to sort of what we were talking about before. It's like, don't have, like, have the type of confidence that's backed up, you know, like, because, because I also, at the same breath, really believe in a lot, like, first impressions are so huge. And you also don't want to be that person on the first day of an internship, like, barging in and being like, this is what I think. If you, especially if you don't have anything to back it up, you know, but, you know, I have interns at my company and, you know, when they come to me and they've got incredible ideas, they have incredible knowledge that I don't have for a variety of different reasons. And when they come to me and they bring facts and they bring their experience and confidence and enthusiasm, oh, enthusiasm just gets me so much. Um, I am, I, I'm eager to listen to them. It's not even like I'm, I'm you know, happy to listen. Like I'm eager to, um, don't you think it's a lot about like the energy that you bring also? Oh, a hundred percent. I think the reason I and we at Stacy too can get deals done is because of our energy. We see both, then, you know, that takes empathy. I think seeing both sides of the coin Being on the PR side, I remember what it's like to want a celebrity to fit into your program and get it done. And also being on this side, I know how unreasonable that want can be. So I think, you know, the energy you bring to any situation, especially getting deals done, is what helps you. And you guys both have such good energy. How do you like, how do you, I mean, you guys seem like you genuinely have so much fun. (laughs) We do. Well, that was. That was a prerequisite for this next phase of my career. Um, I started the New York office of Burns when I was 37, and it had to be fun. 
I'm kind of monogamous when it comes to jobs. I stay everywhere for six years, it looks like. That's my track record. And I wanted this one to be a place where I could spend my days and not be looking at the clock or secretly upset all day long about something that someone said. So I was given the opportunity by Burns to hire a dream team. And Stacy is the first piece of that dream team. I've wanted her to work with me ever since um, we left the company where we were together. And I finally came to a place where she actually wanted to come. (laughs) And so like, let's talk about that a little bit, you know, like how did, what was that persistent, you know, what were those persistent conversations like? Like, I mean, I know what it's like from my side. I just never gave up. But what it, tell, I've never asked you that. What in the hell did I sound like begging you like this? Um, Well, I have to say it felt amazing to be courted. It felt really good. Um, But I think the way you really won me over was I feel like you understood what I was looking for in the next phase of my life. Some of that being flexibility, some of that being um, the fact that I would be a trustworthy source. It wasn't like I had to do something someone's way. And when it comes to um, the types of clients that I would be working with or the types of clients I could bring on, there were no rules. It was whatever I wanted to do. So, I mean, I think it was that, that freedom and that flexibility and the trust. Mm-hmm. And now we've got it all. And mm-hmm. we, re- we do genuinely have a good time at work. We're really fortunate. Again, like I'm a pop culture junkie. I read everything. I watch everything. So does Courtney. So does the rest of our team. And I mean, I don't know any other place that we're literally getting paid to talk about TV shows and what someone was wearing on a red carpet and a funny interview we saw on Good Morning America. Like this is literally our job. And it's awesome. I mean, I I joke with my husband that whenever I'm on Instagram, he calls it looking at pictures. But I literally am saying I'm doing research because I am. I'm working. I'm I'm seeing what's happening in in the world and culture, whether it's following CNN or following, you know, the dorky plant experts that I love. (laughs) And that's the way to differentiate ourselves. There's a lot of competition in our space. Back in the day, there wasn't. Only a few of us knew the agents in Hollywood and and could get them on the phone. But now we have to be on top of our game every single day. Our clients have their own jobs. PR girls need to pitch stories, craft, you know, huge public relations strategies. They need us to pop in and be the experts. So, you know, in the past we could have gotten lazy when there wasn't competition, but now we have to know every single thing. Who's going to be hot next year? Who's filming in... Vancouver tomorrow, like literally everything we have to know. Thank God for the internet. And so how is this phase of your career different from before? One thing that I think about, and I'm so glad I'm on this podcast because hopefully someone feels this way too, but, and this will answer your question in a roundabout way, the whole buzzword right now, female founder. When I was thinking about either starting my own company or making another move, I felt an a pressure to be a female founder, to create my own company, to do everything myself, to really, that's what everyone's doing right now and everyone's getting so much praise for it. And you know what? I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that. For me, it was a lot of pressure. I need to be able – my anxiety level as a human is naturally super-duper high. So if we add one more thing to that plate, I'm not going to sleep. So I wanted the comfort of a salary. I wanted the ability to turn off 
you're nodding your head. You're like, I wish I could turn off. Oh, a thousand percent. Everything you're saying. I have so much respect for what you do because it takes a lot of balls to do that. And just because I didn't want to do it doesn't mean I'm a failure. And I think that message should be out there more. You don't have to be a female founder if you don't want to do that. You don't have to be anything you Mm -hmm. don't want to do. Like you do you. You do what what works for you, what makes you excited. And success looks so different depending on who you're speaking with. And I'm so – I respect what you're saying so much because – what you do with your life should not be dictated by what everybody else thinks you should do. Right. right? Female founder is like the kale of now. Like, <laughs> we got it. We know. We get it. But I still think, and I'm going to speak for you in this, but I still think the position that we are both in at Burns, and you even more than me, you've been laying this groundwork for a while now, is you're still very much a leader. And the staff looks at you as for leadership, for advice, and for guidance. I mean, even just yesterday, we were sitting and talking about, like, what are things that we want to focus on for 2018 for ourselves and also for the entire staff? What are things that we want to do to grow the company as a whole? Like, it's not our company. It actually is someone else's. But I think that we're still able to have the, the freedom and the power to, to think that way without having to have that full, um, the full ownership behind it. And yet, I do truly trust that you, myself, will reap the benefits of that. Yeah. Well, let, let's get it straight. If I didn't get this job, I would have started my own company because I also wanted an opportunity to not have a boss. And Doug, the owner, and Mark, the owners of Burns, really gave us the keys and said, you know what? We killed it for the last 25 years. Here are the keys. Go kill it for the next 20. So I think, you know, just that lightning in the bottle opportunity and the trust and the foresight from two guys who really do know everything. And usually in the history of guys, they still want to be the guys that know everything and never let anyone else have a turn. So I think, you know, I found the perfect opportunity in this opportunity. Yeah. I mean, and how incredible is that? And I don't know. I just, I, I, there's so much to what you're saying that we can talk about for the longest time. Cause I, I do, I think that, um, just knowing, um, just having a self-awareness to know like what you want and what will make you happy, um, is so key because I mean, we're in a world of influencers, right? So how easy is it for the outside world? Um, especially, um, something that's so present, which is, you know, this conversation about like women and business and, um, all of those things to just influence and, and pressure you into like, oh, well, every, it seems like the marker of success is to do Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And like Stacey, I think exactly what you're saying is so true. Like the work that you guys are doing is humongous. And like, there are a million different ways uh, and shades of um, a career path and, and what you're currently doing um, that like absolutely are so impressive to people. Uh, Like to run a team that you guys are running and to have I mean, you guys have people who have been in the business for maybe decades longer than you have who are looking at the work that you're doing and are like mind blown over it um, because they're, they, they don't, they, they've done it in a different way and, you know, they're, they're implementing, they're hiring you to be able to take, to, to take the torch further. And I think that's going to carry over to when we're in charge Mm -hmm. because the way technology is, we're going to be, look, I are, Lizzie in our office 
Hi, Lizzie. She's the one that knows everything about Influencer, more than I could ever know. She grew up with the technology. I barely had the internet in college. So I think, you know, we learned a lot from the guys who gave us the keys because we're going to have to turn them over in just a few years when our way of doing things is the old way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, we always ask this question of everyone on the podcast. I'm very excited to ask you guys as well, um, both. So I want to hear each of your answers. So um, what do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or personal advantage today? I think the best advice would be don't stay in your lane. And this is volunteering for things that are outside of your job. So if you're a behind-the-computer screen person, volunteer to go help at the event. If you're an events girl, volunteer to stay over and help someone crunch numbers. I think the more experience in different fields you can get, the better. And it ties back into confidence. The more experience you have in anything, the more confidence you're going to have. I think that's like a physical law of the universe. So get as much experience not in your lane as possible um, and be the person at the office who raises their hand. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Partially that I did that because I like to do everything and I think I can do it the best way possible. Um, but, you know, that's everything from getting someone water that you don't really like to taking your shoot one time Hillary Swank was at an event and she was getting out of her car to get in the red carpet and she hated her shoes my client's waiting the car is running she's not getting out of the car so what do I do instead of running to someone higher up and saying oh my gosh Hillary doesn't have her shoes I took off my freaking shoes I gave them to her thank god I was wearing nice enough shoes for her to want to wear she walked the carpet in my shoes. She forgot I existed and left with the shoes. And I went home barefoot that night. But I got the job done and lived to tell the story. And I think that's what made me a really valuable asset and what, you know, women coming up can do. Just volunteer. You got it done. Get her done. Um, I think for me, the advice would be is don't be afraid of something you don't necessarily know how to do. And part of that is asking for help and asking questions to figure it out. You know, I think back to a time where I was working for a, um, a not-for-profit, a children's hospital, and it was a job that I think got given to me because no one else wanted to do it. And me, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, uh, still to this day, I was like, oh, I'll do it. When in my head, I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to get mm-hmm. this done. I have no idea. They want an A-list celebrity to do a lot of work for free uh, for a charity that not many people had heard of. And I remember really trying to figure out how am I going to get this done. And I called all of my agent friends and all of my manager friends. And I truly asked them, how would you get this done? Because I, I really didn't know how I was going to do it. And because I think I was so I was so honest about needing their help, and these are with people I had good relationships with, they ended up pointing me in the direction of people I didn't already know. And whether that was um, the person at the agency who specifically their job was to find charities for their celebrity clients. I didn't even know that job existed. And um, because of the help that I that I got for asking for it, I was able to get Jennifer Lopez to be the face of the Children's Miracle Network and raise so much money for them and so much awareness. And to this day, it's still something that um, I see I see images of and I, I see the impact of working with her for for that charity. It's done so much for them. 
Um, and I saw the impact of you working on that job. You were a shell of a human, but you pulled it off. It sounds so nice when she puts it that way, but I remember <laughs> that was a hard job. But I even think, you know, back when it was 2013 and one of my clients was uh, Pantene and Pantene had said to us, oh my gosh, we need to be on YouTube. And to be honest, my agency typically would have said that's something that the media buyer will do. But I said, no, 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 we'll figure it out. We'll do it. Give me two weeks. And I remember I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And I I figured out, okay, who are some of the players on YouTube? Who are some of the players on, this is like before Instagram even mattered. Who, like, what, what's an MCN? What are these? And I would just literally reach out to any single person that I thought maybe touched the space of YouTube that could teach me something and help me craft these deals so that when I could go back to Pantene, which is the number one selling hair care product, I think, in the world, we were able to be one of the first brands on YouTube and doing it right and doing in- interesting deals with inst- uh, interesting talent and making cool content and, most importantly, complying by all the FTC laws and language that the client didn't understand even existed and just asking for help of how to do it. I mean, I remember sitting at lunch with one of um, one of the people who runs, uh, who ran one of the MCNs and literally he gave me a presentation of like what he's looking for in a brand deal so that I could then give him my presentation of what I'm looking for in a talent deal so that we could literally teach each other what to do to make it work for each other. And literally that was the first time I met this person. And now we're still friends to this day and he's like crushing it. Um, and now YouTube is a thing of the past and it's Instagram and it's TikTok. And now I hope people in our office will go find who's going to teach us that on TikTok. Who's going to teach us that in the whole esports leagues and gaming consoles and all the all of those things that, to be honest, I have the energy to learn, but I want someone else to do it yeah. and teach me. Well, I'm exhausted. I, I can't do that. I don't want to do it. I can't do it. I, I I'm I'm energized actually with this conversation. <laughs> so I am so excited that you guys got to join today. Um, there's so much more that we can chat about, and I know that people are absolutely, if they are smart, listening to this podcast um, and take my advice, should absolutely reach out to these two and connect with them. Please do. We want you. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, if they're receptive to it, and I know that they are, please do it. Um, pimp yourself out, guys. What's the best way to, for people to get in touch with you? Uh, just email us. My email is Courtney.Worthman at BurnsENT.com. And I'm Stacy.Gersten at BurnsENT.com. But seriously, reach out, ask us questions. Uh, we're energized by people with energy. We love an informational interview. I, I love to know what makes people tick, what they're looking for in their career, what they want to do. And if we can be inspirational at all, um, we'd love to. And just a warning, I'm this is Courtney. I'm aggressively helpful. I'm a Capricorn and an only child. And um, I, I want to have an LLC that's called Ugh, Just Let Me Do It <laughs> LLC. So if you're coming to me, get ready to get told what to do. From one Capricorn to another Yay! girlfriend. Yes. Yes. Aggressively helpful. That's amazing. <laughs> um, they are genuinely here for you guys listening today. Um, the fact that they're giving you their email address, guys, take advantage of this. People on this podcast are like, I don't know, connect with me on LinkedIn, vaguely mean it, Instagram, maybe I'll check my DMs. No, they're giving you their email address. Like, cannot emphasize enough. Like, these ladies are incredible and please take advantage of this connection. Um, 
I want to have you guys back on. I want to have you guys back on. So um, maybe we'll have them at a future event. Uh, we're going to have some events definitely in 2020. We just came off of our event in New York. Um, we're going to have some coming up soon. Thank you guys so much for coming on today. You guys are incredible. Thank you. Gosh, that's such a compliment. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments, so comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in.